Welcome to the Five Heart Podcast. This is your fearless leader and founder of Corn Nation, John Johnston. We're going to change the format this week, and we'll be decided to hell with college football and Nebraska football. You guys aren't paying attention anyway, and we're just already, we're going to pivot directly into politics. So I'm going to rage from the right. Well, my friend Todd Woolerton, the socialist, commie, pinko bastard that he is, opines from the left. You want to ban guns and get rid of the Electoral College, don't you, Mr. Wolverton? Kind of, and yes. <laughs> Why do you want to destroy America? I want to make America great again. <laughs> After four years of absolute destruction and chaos, it is time to put America back on its feet back on the rails to the future and make this country the best country in the world, respected by people all over the globe. Now you're into this, aren't you? Damn right I am. You want to go, buddy? (laughs) I'll go anytime you want to go, John. (laughs) Until you take Uh, a position on one of your damn lakes up in Minnesota so that you have a chance to convert me to a more conservative perspective, I'm going to be this damn liberal. Oh, well, you know, this is the problem that Todd has had his entire life is his father never took him fishing enough and didn't take him hunting. That's the problem with you, Mr. Wolverton. Not only that, in this video, you look like a Star Trek hologram. (laughs) Okay. My blood's flowing. I hope everybody else's is too. Todd finally admits he wants to destroy America. (laughs) Okay, we're we're joined by Jill Heemstra, the ranch babe, who's here to talk to us about women's basketball, being a rancher, and being on the right side of America. How you doing, Jill? Good. I feel like I should have worn like the black and white striped shirt here to be the ref. <laughs> <laughs> well, well some, some tells me that was futile between the I, two of you. I, I would have had to wear a spit guard, I think. Um, <laughs> the problem, the problem Todd and I have when we get together is is everybody else around us gets starts getting pissed off. Like they get drawn into it and they're like, oh, then they start attacking me if they're Todd's friends, the socialist pinkos. And I don't have any friends, so they don't attack Todd anyway. <laughs> okay, so now that Greg has shit himself since he's not here and had to listen to that beginning, uh, what do we have for n- any kind of news, not Husker news? I mean, not news about, you know, uh, uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> and how things really haven't changed that much but anyway uh what do we have for husker news well i think i think we ought to start with women's basketball jill's here tonight and and i know she's frustrated by the loss today but jill bring us up to speed yeah this husker team is impossible to figure out they won two straight you know, one against a ranked team, one against a team they should have won against. And then they go to Minnesota tonight and lose to a team they 
I don't know, maybe shouldn't have lost against. It's going to hurt them in the Big Ten standings. I just, I can't figure this team out. That's what's frustrating. You just don't know what team you're going to get any given night. I, I've got a couple questions for you because I, I don't call, I don't follow women's basketball. I don't follow basketball much at all. But, um, you know, I do stay up on things that are, you know, on coronation and in the newspaper. And I do have some respect for Coach Williams. I mean, you know, she, she seems to be, you know, the kind of coach that um, Nebraska wants and Nebraska needs. But um, she's shorthanded on players. She doesn't have that many players on the roster this year. You know, why is that? And does that have anything to do with, you know, her recruiting philosophy or the way that she, she deals with or handles, you know, the players? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? That just, in my opinion, they're playing awful doggone well to be, you know, because they're shorthanded. Yeah, there were points this season where they were down to seven players because of injuries. But, yeah, they were – I mean, Coach Williams and her staff really had to pull in a lot of transfers this year because they lost a lot of transfers last year. Um, oh, the, the Sam Hybe, who's Nebraska's leading scorer, she's a junior, she was in a class of four in her recruiting class. Well, last season, all three of her recruiting class decided to leave. And that, at the time that they signed as freshmen, were a top 20 recruiting class. And Hybee's the only one left. Uh, you know, we actually played against one of them tonight. She transferred to Minnesota. Uh, another one went to Michigan. Uh, another one decided just to go back home to a smaller college. I, I have no idea why. And it's a weird year. In a pandemic year, you know, two of those players return closer to home. You can hardly blame them for wanting to be closer to home in the world we're living in right now. Um, so I, I don't know what happened there. So, yeah, when you do pull in a lot of transfers and have to really kind of recobble together a team, it can be it can be hard to find a flow and a rhythm. So the inconsistency should probably not be surprising. Um, didn't one of them go to Dorch? Yeah, Dort College, which, yeah. Which then ended itself or ended its basketball program or is no longer a college or something, isn't it? Um, no, actually, I think they tried to upgrade to a university now. I think they're calling themselves university now. Um, but, yeah, she's only a few miles from home. Her family actually gets to come see her. Two of the players essentially that transferred essentially – Nobody really poked fingers at the basketball program itself, but two of them essentially said they wanted a better off-campus experience or off-court experience. Um, so take that what as you will. Most of, I know most of the time you hear that Nebraska's support system around the athletes is some of the best in the nation. So that surprises me. So I don't wow. know. I don't know what it means, and I'm not an insider, so I don't know the rumors behind them. And they both, you know, ended up basically right back home. Again, weird world. You can't hardly fault them for that. And you can't really point fingers at Coach Williams very much when they kind of went out of their way to say it wasn't really the basketball experience that caused them to leave. Um, but again, when you have to cobble together a team like they are this year, 
I guess you do have to live with some inconsistency. But it doesn't make it fun to watch. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I can, you know, I think that the whole COVID thing, you know, has changed the mindset of a lot of kids. And, you know, it's, it's obvious with, you know, some of the basketball players, but it's happened in other sports too. And um, Wandale Robinson saying he needed to be closer to the family. Um, yeah. You know, it's certainly not the overwhelming number, but it is going to impact a few. And uh, I was really shocked, you know, you talk about the transfers. I was really shocked that someone would leave, you know, a Division One program that plays in one of the best conferences in the country going to yeah. Dort College. I mean, you know, Dort College – you know, I, I'd be shocked if they have a thousand students at Dort. Um, you know, I've driven by the campus. I don't, I don't even think you can go through the campus because uh, I think it's only on one side of the street. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, that, that's a, that's a shocker. That's, but you know, kids get homesick too. And yeah. And I did see a quote from her that says about she proved to herself she could do it and wanted to be at home. Yeah. And there's something to be said for that too. Sure. Sure. No, no, there isn't. You need to get the fuck away from home. If you're a kid, <laughs> get the hell out of here. Go out there and live the life or spread your wings. <laughs> well, yeah, get out, get out and experience the world. You know, see what it's like to live in Florida for at least three days. And then after three days, get the fuck out of there. Cause that state's full of stupid, crazy people. Joe, what's what's the crystal ball say about women's basketball team and you know the Big Ten tournament's coming up? I don't even know where they sit in the rankings right now, but I would guess middle of the pack. I mean, you know, what's it going to yeah. take for them to advance? Yeah, I think before tonight, I, I just because it's such a weird year, they were holding out hope for maybe an NCAA bid because you'd think power conferences would have a little more advantage this year than most years. Um, I, I think they pretty much blew that apart tonight. I, I don't know that they had a great chance anyway. Um, we'll see. They were kind of in the middle of the standings and the team right ahead of them had lost tonight. And then Minnesota was right behind Nebraska. So I'm guessing this dropped them a, you know, they could end up playing the first day of the tournament practically now if they don't watch it. They've got two more games. Um, one is against, oh, i trying to remember. One is the final regular season game is Iowa, and that'll be a tough game for the Huskers. They lost to Iowa by double digits just a little bit ago, and Iowa has potentially a national freshman of the year on their roster. Um and then the other game, I'm I'm still blanking who it was, but it was a potentially winnable game for Nebraska. But even if they split that, and, and this is, again, a weird year where the number of wins and losses isn't so big as your win percentage because everybody's played a different number of games. So there's going to be some really weird, wonky-looking standings. Um, but this is a Husker team that seems to get tired easily. or Not tired, I shouldn't say that. They seem to only be able to maintain, you know, that really high level of play for so long. And then they just have a hard time. And, and that's how it is. And that's how any team would be. So 
the more games they have to play in the Big Ten tournament, the worse I think their chances are. So we'll see. Um, I don't even know if there's going to be an NIT or a women's NIT this year or not, but that seems to be their most likely outlet if there is one after the Big Ten tournament. But again, this is a team that I think would actually be, if they pick up, you know, they get on that hot streak again, they would be capable of winning it or they'll be capable of going out in their first game. I don't know which team we're going to get. Is Amy Williams the right coach? Mm. How's that? Yeah. 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 You know, nobody has offered to pay me to coach basketball, so I'm not sure I'm qualified. Um, She's recruited well. I mean, she's brought in some, you know, the Kate Kane, who's a senior, and Taylor Kissinger. They're those two together as a recruiting class were a top 20 recruiting class. Um, unfortunately, Taylor Kissinger had to retire before her senior season this year because of injuries. The, the class that would be juniors right now, that was a top 20 class, but three out of the four have now transferred. The class that's coming in next fall is another top 20 class and one of them is already on campus she should be playing high school basketball but she's playing for the huskers right now so she's getting the talent um it's just a matter of you know really trying to be more consistent i think so you know i I don't know that firing people all the time is the way to build a program I just really hope we can see some more consistency here over the next couple of years. Anything else about women's basketball? I'm glad I'm writing about them instead of the men. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Men's basketball is, you know, I guess I've been watching them. I think they're interesting. I think they have a good mix of, you know, I in, in far as Husker news goes, Teddy Allen set the uh, the school record for the number of points in a game with 41 in a losing effort against Penn State just because they don't, you know, they just don't have the experience of playing together where they know what each, each one of the other players is going to be doing all the time. Uh, you know, they had too many turnovers again. The free throw shooting is – it wasn't completely freaking horrible against Penn State, but it was, it's still overall is terrible. I think they have, you know, Teddy Allen, some days he'll show up. And I mean, he scored 41 in that game. Did you watch either? You watch that game? No. No. He scored 41 points in that game. And he didn't do it by being a crazy person. He made some moves that were just, unbelievable and shots that were just unbelievable. And and then you look at the game before that and he barely scored a point. So, you know, if you could get consistency out of him, he doesn't have to score 40 a night. He could score 20 or 15, you know, and then lap man and, and McGowan's and uh, you know, Derek Walker is certainly decent. <clears throat> just a few, few more, uh, much, some more consistency out of him and, I think our, pro, our basketball, our men's basketball program is going to be fine in the long run. I think Hoiberg's bringing in the talent. Uh, yeah, I think, I think he knows what he's doing. 
You bring up a good point there, John. I think with the women's basketball program, they've been most successful under Amy Williams when everybody kind of knows their role and they really can consistently execute those roles. And this year with the injuries and just the new people and transfers, it's been really difficult for them to establish those roles. Um, and I think you see that the same thing with the men. They aren't really entirely sure who they can depend on for what quite yet. I mean, in the game before Penn State, you watched him and the starters were not good. But the bench came on and played like madmen. Thor played like a, a giant, like a god. And then, uh, you know, they bring the starters back in and the, they start losing again. And it's like, what the hell? And I get it. You know, we're all looking for normalcy out of this year, which, you know, we Doesn't were supposed exist. to go into a lockdown for two weeks and everything was going to be fine. It was going to be over, you know, and, you know, and the fucking socialists take over and make everybody go inside and have no fun forever because that's what they're about is destroying fun. Right, Todd? You hate fun. Yeah, there you go, John. The fun hater. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else we got for news? We got uh, – I have – 38 different text files open on my computer and I forgot where the news went. <clears throat> Luke well, McCaffrey goes to, Oh, go to volleyball. Volleyball teams, you know, in a real important part of their season. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I tell you what, I've watched every point of the two games against Minnesota last weekend. And, um, you know, it was, it was, um, I, I, I don't want to use the word humbling, but I, I think that the team, was humbled a little bit, you know, in that loss on Friday night. But, you know, just watching how Coach Cook has handled teams in the past and, and you know, just knowing a little bit about the character and the leadership on the team that's there right now. Um, I'm not some great volleyball prognosticator, but I, I fully expected to see them walk out on the court on Sunday afternoon confident and, and a, a different team. And, you know, I, I made this comment somewhere else. I don't care what the sport is, but whenever you start a game or a match, whatever it might be, if the other team gets out in front of you real fast and you dig a hole that is too deep, uh, it is incredibly difficult to have enough energy to come back and, and be victorious. You might come back and make it close, but you think about that Friday night, uh, the, the, the Friday night match, holy smokes, they were behind four, five, six points at the start of every one of those games. They came back and won game number two, but they that's just too much to come back from. And it, it's, it's that way, I think, in, in about every sport. But boy, the way they came out on Sunday, they just turned the table and they made enough. I don't know the X's and O's and the, the techniques with volleyball, but they pretty much um, neutralized that big hitter from Minnesota, that Samity, pretty much neutralized her. The, the libero that was, you know, serving out of her mind, uh, she kind of came back to earth a little bit, you know, but holy moly, the Nebraska side, they just were on fire and they, they clicked and, and they looked like, you know, they looked like they're going to be there at the end of the season and contend. Yeah, Beth, our volleyball writer, she just said she wasn't all that discouraged on the Friday night match, even though they lost. She said they didn't execute the game plan. So they they didn't do what they were coached to do. She says, I actually think 
Sunday could be very different because she had faith in the coaching staff, like you said, and, and boy, was it a different match on Sunday? Yeah. It, man, you just want to like take some of the cook magic powder and sprinkle it all over the athletic department. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the fact, I like the fact that he took, who was it? Uh, I mean, we have the, the freshman girl from uh, Hawaii oh. who, who looks really good as a setter and, but then there's who is it? Annie Evans, was it that he put in like on a set point to serve? And it's kind of like, hey, you know, I don't care if you're brand new at this. You're going to get out there and play. Well, you know, it was a high intensity intensity game and uh, against a top rank opponent. And Nick, he just went, well, you're going to go play. Nicklin Hammis got smucked. I mean, she got blasted oh, yeah. in the side of the face. And uh, it, you could, I mean, on television, you could see that whole left side of her face was just beat red. And as soon as he had a chance to sub, because she wasn't right, you know, that's when he put that Evans gal in. And I think she set the final two points, you know, of the match. And, um, you know, he had her in late in a game earlier in the year, you know, where it mattered a lot. And I think that, you know, He's got to have Hamas on the floor. I mean, she's got to be out there. But he's found some ways to give this, you know, the heir apparent, you know, some big minute moments, if you will, um, with the team, just just to have her prepared. Yeah, so. he knows how to tweak things. And, oh. and well, you know, he can prepare people for moments, but then what makes him great is that he can also prepare them to sustain over long periods of time. And he knows when you need to switch between the two modes. I mean, the man's just a wizard. Well, he's got two incredible assistants right now. And I, I, I wonder, you know, when you have a, a sport like volleyball and some of the other sports, you know, when you don't have 50 assistants, you know, I often wonder, you know, how's the dynamic work with that? Who has, responsibilities. And I, I wonder if Coach Cook, since, you know, he brought Tyler Hildebrandt back on the staff, as he adjusted the way, you know, what his roles and responsibilities are and seeded some different things to, to Hildebrandt. Um, and I and so. I, I, yeah, I kind of guess that he has. It sounds like Hildebrandt's pretty much in charge of the setters and the middles. Um, and the offense. And the offense. And so that makes me wonder if, if that leaves more time for Cook, you know, to be in charge of more of the mental prep, more of the, the X's and O's and some of that kind of stuff where he, you know, he shines with that. I mean, that, that's only good for Nebraska. Well, my impression maybe, is that brand is the heir apparent. Yeah. When, maybe, when. maybe what it does is leave John Cook more time to plot. To take over the athletic department. Oh yeah. Well, have you heard some of his pregame interviews? He's got a real "what the hell" attitude in his pregame interviews, and that is not normally him. I mean, it's just like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Well, what I think so who is that his daughter does the color on the radio block broadcasts, and when they were playing Rutgers, I was driving from Nebraska back to Iowa, and I listened to the whole game against Rutgers pregame, the game, post-game. I, I could keep the frequency long enough. It is just hilarious to listen to her. She doesn't pull any punches. 
And oh, no. um, she probably gets away saying a few things about her dad that uh, another another broadcaster might not be able to get away with. Oh, yeah. She, she was all over his case about how he was using green cards for a while there in the season. And I remember one of the matches like, he's finally figured out when he should use his green cards. <laughs> I was like, whoa, yep, you have to be favorite daughter to be able to say that. <laughs> Which I think she's the only daughter, right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, he, okay, he football? started out as a football coach, and you know, it's uh, when he was out in San Diego, and um, I'm glad he found volleyball. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay, football news or anything about baseball? We don't know anything more about baseball. Nothing's changed in baseball. I think softball starts this weekend. Not that anybody cares. Oh, I care. <laughs> Todd cares. Rhonda used to be my dance partner in PE. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. We were. Uh, we took P, we took PE methods classes together. Oh, at the in, U. Uh, huh? At the U. At the U. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, there was occasion when we had to take the dance methods classes that. She and I were partnered up, but uh, softball, you know, Ron is a heck of a good coach and she's got a good staff and um, it's unfortunate, you know, what they went through as a coaching staff, what she went through personally and what the whole team dealt with, you know, not that long ago. But I think that that has made it a, a better situation. I, you know, I don't know all the details and don't want to get into that, but yeah. um She's got a good returning team. And if her pitching comes around, uh, this team could be a solid team. Uh, and who knows what's going to happen in a shortened season like that. But uh, I always get excited about softball. Okay, football news? Well, I, I saw that the Athletic picked up the fact that two of the top recruits in Nebraska did not include Nebraska on their – final group of five. Um, and it looks like Aquilo addressed it. I haven't read his article yet on Corn Nation. Uh, so I don't know what perspective he's taken from it, but that seems to be the big news in the, in the recruiting biz that Deshaun Woods and Devin Jackson, two boys out of Omaha, um, are opting not to include Nebraska on their list of finalists. So, so what do you, what do you think about that, Jill? Um, I think we should be surprised it took this long for stuff like that to really set in. I mean, Nebraska hasn't been a good team for a while and, you know, it is what it is. And Oh my God. That statement. I know, but we're in the upper Midwest and some of these kids have opportunities to go elsewhere. You said yourself earlier this podcast, go see the world. <laughs> yeah, except for those fuckers. <laughs> you know, why not just see what you can do elsewhere? Because you know that if they ever, you know, that transfer portal has exploded what's really the downside for them if they're actually good why not go test and see what they can get elsewhere and they know they can probably always come home why not 
Well, that is true. They probably always can come home. Uh, <clears throat> well, they kind of can because then you'd be going, well, see, we got them back. And then everybody would be less pissed off because for some reason, uh, when you don't win shitload, I mean, let's face it, when you win your games, you could murder people and bury them right outside the athletic department's front doors and people go, well, they probably deserved it. You know, if you're not winning your games, then we're picking on every little tiny blade of grass that's in your lawn and pointing out how it's just slightly not cut the same as the other ones are. So I guess I want to propose this. I don't think – and I don't follow recruiting as closely as, you know, recruiting guys do, obviously. But I don't think kids look at winning football teams as the place they always want to go play football. I don't think it carries as much weight as people think. Now, does it carry weight when you're a five-star guy and you want to go to Alabama or Clemson? You want to go to those teams not just because they win, but because they put players in the NFL, and that's where you go, you're going to go. It's not because they're just winning all of their games. I think a lot of those guys that are really top athletes, they look at a program and they go, can this program get me to the NFL? Does this program put tight ends? I want to be a tight end. Can I get to the NFL as a tight end in this program? You know, I mean, that's one reason why Wendell Robinson left is because he wanted to be in an offense that highlighted his skills so he could get to the next level. And he didn't feel like he was getting at that at Nebraska. And and that's fine. You know, that's how it goes. But uh, the whole, well, who wants to play for a loser? Well, you know what? If I was a... If I was a kid from Omaha and I looked at Nebraska's outside linebackers and said, they're shittier than I am, I think I'm going to go play for Nebraska because I'm going to start there in my first year and I'm going to play four years and then I'm going to go to the NFL and kick ass and get big contracts and nice cars, big mansions and a yacht. You know, things that America stands for, Todd. You know, things you get when you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, (laughs) because that's what free market capitalism does for people. I'll tell you what. No, go ahead, Joe. (laughs) I say just if only we were putting people in the NFL. It isn't that we're just losing games, but the we're not getting kids drafted. (laughs) Go ahead, now, Todd. I think that hurts recruiting. It's more more than they're just flat out losing, but. You know, again, that's uh, I throw that out there. People can respond to it. Come on, you pansies, give us some feedback every once in a while. Well, <laughs> I think that that's true, Don, and I, you know, I I agree to a large extent with with your observation that not all kids place a high priority on you know going to the proven winners. I think it is a factor. I agree with that. It is a factor, and um, but I think that there's a lot of these guys that you know they also look at. Um, where are they going to get a chance to play? And you would think that with, you know, at least Nebraska's record in recent years, you know, that, that would be something that uh, might, might sway them in that direction too. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, a couple of things I want to toss in there, you know, this generation of kid growing up in Nebraska, they weren't alive when Nebraska, you know, had things going, you know, when, when the dynasty was rolling. That was they weren't in, alive. That was in their dad's day. That was in. How, their, in the, how the hell old am I, Todd? You're old. you're old like I am. But my point is, you know, one of the reasons why Nebraska fans love Garrett Nelson 
is because he bleeds Nebraska red. Why does he bleed Nebraska red? Well, his dad went to Nebraska and wrestled at Nebraska, and it's part of his DNA. But, you know, there, there are a lot of these kids that have not grown up in that kind of an environment. And until Nebraska starts putting more W's, you know, in that column, um, you know, you're, it's, it's, not a, it's not an automatic. It's kind of interesting how times have changed because there was an era back when you and I were college in college, John, and, and after that, where, you know, there were some studs in Nebraska that would choose not to come to Nebraska because they wanted an opportunity to play sooner. You know, that was the reason that they left or they wanted to develop their own identity. I mean, I remember very well when Larry Station, Larry Station, I mean, the guy was a stud coming out of Omaha and he went to Iowa. He might have been like one of the first real stars from Nebraska that ended up with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, but he was he was definitely rather than the rule. So um, times have and, changed. And when you think... When you think about it, you you know, if you're playing for a team that wins, you're playing for a college team that's going to win the national championship. And I shut my video off because I'm moving around. I don't want to give everybody motion sickness. Um, but realistically, there's only, what, three or four teams right now that are really in the mix to even win a national championship. And so there's 126 or 120-some FBS teams that are not going to win a national championship or even have a chance at it. So, yeah, you're right. You're looking at the NFL development. I think some of those teams should be broken up. Kind of like a monopoly. What happened to your free market argument? Well, yeah, but that's not it. it, it, That's when it stops. When you develop monopolies and duopolies, which which the Re- Democrat and Republican parties are is a duopoly, and I could go into this, but it'd just be bloody, and and you would cry at how much wisdom I have over this concept. But when you have a monopoly, free market ends because the monopoly controls everything, and that's Alabama. So therefore, what I propose is that we break Alabama up. We just take like half of their coaching staff. And we go, you guys have to go off and coach for Appalachian State. And then you have to take half of your roster and they have to go play for Appalachian State or, I don't know, somebody, a group of five team like Northern Illinois. And maybe Montana is something. Just trying to level the playing field, just trying to make it equitable for all. You're a closet socialist. (laughs) <laughs> and it's starting to come out here, John. Fortunately for Nebraska, they are going to bring back, you know, some guys that do know how to win. It looks like Jay Foreman and, and Jason Peter are going to be on the staff. And people say that there was nobody that had more intensity or could get more out of his teammates than Jason Peter than, than Jason Peter when he was there back in the 90s. So maybe some of this – Cornhusker pride that those two guys have can start to rub off a little bit on some of the players. Okay. Well, talking about a duopoly, John, don't we need to congratulate Greg on his new duopoly? Well, yeah, I was, I usually let them do that themselves, but 
is it proper to do that? I don't know. You're the woman. You tell me. Oh, we got baby pictures. So yes. One of the reasons Greg's not here tonight because he has, he has his own little duopoly now himself Two two new Mihachkos in the family. So yay, Greg. I'm so excited for you. I, you know, he's moved from man to man to zone now. That's what having three kids does to you. <laughs> it's going to be a while before they're moving around, but by God, when they get, I, they're just going to exhaust him. He's going to come on this program. He's going to be even more of an old man than I am because I'm young at heart. Okay. Congratulations, Greg, on your your children, your babies. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that it, everybody came out healthy to this point. At least we know because uh, things were a little weird there for a bit. Okay. I, have you ever seen this? No, I have. Okay. This is a book. I think you can get it at Amazon. It's called No Place Like Nebraska, Anatomy of an Era, Volume 2. Look at that. See that? This is this is volume two, and this is 777 pages is volume two. Okay, Paul Koch wrote this. Paul Koch was a, uh, a trainer in the weight. He did weight stuff. But this two books, and nobody, uh, nobody ever talks about these books, but these two books are chock full of pretty much unedited interviews that Paul did with crap tons of players and personnel and coaches. And uh, uh, what you, I'm, I'm trying to think of a diplomatic this way to say this. You know, I'll just come out and say it. There's things in here that I have never seen people discuss online. And I don't bring them up because some of them are really unbelievably nasty. And when you go through some of these interviews, by the way, when Paul contacted me, he asked me about advice about what I sh he should do with it. And I said, first of all, you got to edit the damn thing because nobody's buying 1,500 pages worth of unedited interviews. And his response was, no, they're going out raw. And they are pretty raw. And in some of these, I, Jason Peter and some of those guys basically talk about, uh, I should go back through them, but they talk about like uh, – a room somewhere around Memorial stadium where they basically would get into one-on-one -on -one like gladiator brawls. And some of the stuff that they did, uh, my God, just yeah, for, well, number one, a lot of the stuff they probably did, you, you couldn't do these days without <laughs> a lot of it being illegal in some way, form or another. And I'm not talking about drugs or substances or alcohol or women I'm talking about just the sheer brutality of which they, uh, I, I don't know, just, I don't want to say attacked each other, but the way they encouraged probably isn't, this sparred is probably the right word. Uh, some of the stories in those books are, are absolutely amazing. So when you say that Jason Peter, you know, was one of those guys that could uh, bring out stuff in people. Yeah. Um, it, he, yeah. Well, there's, there's no question that uh, he and Scott Frost did not get along real well at the beginning. Um, Peter was pretty rough on Frost. And, right. Uh, and, and I don't 
recall all the details of the story, but, you know, Scott Frost did prove his toughness. He proved his toughness. And, um, you know, he, he, uh, he was eventually accepted. Um, and I think that that's, you know, going back to what we talked about before, um, you know, Frost is in kind of a unique position because he's the head coach at a university that he initially spurned that, you know, he was recruited heavily and anybody that was paying attention to Nebraska football and high school football back, you know, in that era, you know, they fully expected and, you know, believed that Scott Frost was going to go to the university of Nebraska. And when he went to Stanford, um, that was, <laughs> and that was not a popular decision. Um, and so now he finds his way back for the second time. And, you know, he's, he's, he's said it recently, you know, in interviews where, um, you know, I think the first time I heard him say it was when Avante Dickerson chose, you know, to go to Oregon. He said, well, he said, I'd be a hypocrite um, to criticize him for choosing to go someplace besides Nebraska. He said, when I graduated from high school in Nebraska, I went to Stanford. So it is kind of a, you know, Scott Frost can't be real high, publicly at least, he can't really beat up on those guys or be highly critical. Um, and they can't comment on it anyway. I mean, you know, right. it's an NCAA violation to even talk about recruits until they've signed. But um, that's, a, that's a position that's a little bit unique for Scott Frost. I, I, I guess when I initially heard that Jay Foreman and, and Jason Peter were going to come back as volunteers, uh, my initial reaction was negative because I look at it and I go, eh, you know, it, it, more cooks spoil the recipe, you know, the, those phrases, uh, things like that. Are they going to, they, they're both defensive players. The defense isn't the side having the problems, but you know, are they going to are you are they going to start telling the players things that contradict what their coaches are saying? There's all those things are possibilities. But on the other hand, I, I think the key to this is, and I think I brought it up in a previous podcast. Uh, we don't have older players. We don't have a lot of them, and we and we we certainly don't have players that know what it's like to to compete at a level at which they win divisions and they win championships. They win a conference championship. Forget the national championship. We're not worried about that. We want to win the big 10 West. And after you start winning the West, then you can get in the big 10 title game. And then things happen. You get a chance. And that's what you're looking for is a chance, right? Well, they don't have those guys at Nebraska as players and they don't have a whole lot of older players that, can mentor the younger players because I mean, you look at like Turner Corcoran's a starting left tackle now, right? He's a freshman. Is one of the other freshmen going to come to him and go, Hey, what'd you do here last year that you were successful for? No, they're not because he wasn't there the year before and he didn't play. And when you look at most of the players on that team, that's kind of them. He's still a heavy youth laden roster. So when you look at Jason Peter and George or Jay Foreman coming in, uh, you know, maybe they're the ones that can motivate those guys or not even motivate them, but at least mentor them and tell them, you know what, if you wanted to be a champion, you know, guess what you do? 
you don't go out on Saturday night and drink your fucking ass off and cause any problems because that's what costs you, you know, X game because you're not paying attention in the film room the next week or you're not doing X, Y, Z. I mean, if you're going to be the best at what you're doing, you have to be consistent and you have to be consistently good. And, and oh, it's all those little things were, that break things. Back like, when they uh, were here, John, they could measure themselves within their own locker room. Like if you right. were the starter, you were the best. Yeah. Now, you know, are they going to be able to tell these kids, okay, that Ohio State person you lined up against kicked your ass. What do you have to do to get better? What do you have to do to make sure they don't do that next time? Are they going to be able to do that? And I don't think we know the answer to that question, but I, I hope the answer is yes, they can help mentor them through that. I just hope that, you know, they have, you know, we, we don't need any more drama with the football team between now and the end of the school year. It, it would be nice if they can have, you know, a good set of practices this spring, you know, play a spring game. Um, there'll be a few guys jump in the portal after the spring game. That's going to happen. Um, you know, it's and, – and, and then you've got the summer to get more recruits on campus and hopefully build, you know, some more of the um, sense of team and, and do more of that. Uh, it, it would be nice to have uh, a drama-free – uh, off season because they they really haven't had that since Scott Frost has been the head coach. If it wasn't COVID, it was Marie storms, <laughs> or, yeah, right. or or whatever. I mean, it was. There's always been something, and um, you know we can talk about a lot of different ways that it seems that Coach Frost has been snake bit. Um, First game postponed, or actually canceled because of rain. You know, I mean, it's, it's just it's just phenomenal how many of those goofy things have happened. But um, well, he's would, expressed repeatedly how much he would like to have a veteran roster. Yeah, and I think he, you know, when we when he first came here, he talked about a seven year rebuild. I think he's a year or two behind that just because the turnover is greater than even he expected. You know, I think we're looking at more like a nine to 10 year rebuild to even get that culture in place. And what are we in year? We just finished year three. We aren't even in the rough nine or 10 years. Potentially. I, I am not. I'm running out of time. <laughs> you're, 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 Jill, it's year three with an asterisk. And I realize every team gets yes. that asterisk. But, um, you know, I, I read something earlier this week, and I don't even remember where I read it, but they made the comment generalized to, or, you know, about Nebraska. And it was in reference to Hoiberg, but it also then brought Frost into the conversation that Nebraska's style of play is not compatible with the Big Ten. And, you know, they were talking about the way that Fred Hoiberg, his philosophy – and how if, if Nebraska, you know, starting down there at the bottom, if he's ever going to bring him to the top, he's going to have to adjust to the Big Ten. And they listed other Big Ten coaches that, you know, came from outside the conference playing a different brand of basketball, 
who came into the Big Ten and to a large extent adjusted the way that they coached their teams. Hoiberg's that kind of a coach and Hoiberg, you know, will adjust. I mean, he, I don't, I mean, I think he has his preferred style of play, um, you know, and uh, so he's, and, and it's heavily dependent upon talented point guards, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not the basketball expert, but they say he has not had that in his two years at Nebraska, that level of point guard. Um, but then, you know, you, you look at Frost and, you know, Frost came in and at that opening press conference made the comment that, you know, the Big Ten will adjust to us. Well, I hope that Scott Frost, and I think he is, I hope that Scott, that Scott Frost swallows some pride and recognizes, well, maybe that particular brand of offense that I was going to bring in here and force everybody to adjust to, that might have to change a little bit. And, and that and, might be why we saw some struggles this year is maybe they are coming to that realization. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I wonder, you know, I've said all along my, you know, I think Scott Frost is the guy for the job, but my two concerns are his arrogance and his stubbornness. And, you know, um, he's not a fool and he would be a fool if he doesn't recognize and change um, a little bit, but, you know, and, and John, you, you said something a little bit earlier that, you know, when we were talking about recruits, you know, recruits want to go, uh, the, uh, the top-notch recruits want to go someplace that are going to move them towards the NFL. And, you know, I'm a run-the-damn-ball guy, but I'm not the guy that believes we need to go back to an option offense, option-based offense, and that type of thing, because you're not going to attract the kids, you know, in that type of, of, a, of a system you know, to Nebraska, you know, the military academies do that to survive and to compete at the level that they're expected to play with the kids that they can get on campus. I mean, that's it. But, you know, to be quite honest, I'm excited to see what spring practice brings. I'm excited to see what the fall brings. Um, I'm going to still look at the glass as half full with all of Nebraska's athletics, um, because I, I think that the potential is there for, for things to, to move forward in a positive direction. Oh, and I would have loved to see Luke McCaffrey as a, a wide receiver. That's mostly because I'm a Denver Broncos fan who watched his dad play, but uh, that isn't to be, I guess. <laughs> well, he's now that he's at Louisville, Louisville, um, when will he be the quarterback at Louisville? <laughs> what if he changes the wide receiver? Is that a mark on Scott Frost again? It's hard to say. You don't know when McCaffrey will come to the realization that maybe he's not a quarterback, or maybe he will develop. I don't know, but I think that Louisville's got an established – guy who's maybe in his last year is that right or second to last year I'm not sure but yeah it'll be at least a year before he's the guy unless there's injuries but we've seen those injuries even at Nebraska so I stopped paying attention to Louisville football when Bobby Petrino left because I was just there for the car accident (laughs) 
motorcycle. Lamar Jackson was there. Oh, whatever accident was going to happen, you know, they, the <laughs> Ivory Coast players from my offense, who needs a defense attitude? And then watch the whole thing implode, which it, it did, you know, it's, uh, that's what I was waiting for. And after that, you know, good luck to him at Louisville. I, he's off my radar. Hey, do you know the Husker track team is going to the indoor Big Ten championships this weekend? I did not know that. And that's about all I know. So we can go right back to football. <laughs> I don't know. Do we have anything else about football? I know this. I, you know, I've had a few conversations with Jay Foreman. He, you know, he, was, he hosted a podcast with us right before the pandemic started. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed talking to him about stuff. And we, you know, the guy, the guy obviously knows football. I mean, really, really well. It, the, the interesting thing about talking to some of these guys that, that played is that uh, you can kind of tell the ones that <laughs> I don't, I'm trying not to be too rude. <clears throat> you can kind of tell the ones that knew their position, but didn't know everything else were the shit. And then the guys that really knew the entire football thing, you know what I mean? In other words, Jay Foreman, probably if he went into coaching, he could become a defensive coordinator. And then there's other guys you talk to that are defensive players sometimes, and you go, you're pretty much a position coach kind of guy. And but Jay Foreman, he's he's, you know, he's uh, he's smart. He's carries himself well. He's intense. He, I think he knows when to be intense and when not. And uh, you know, I guess we'll see what happens in Nebraska. I hope they figure out what freaking thing is missing and put it in there. You know. Maybe they can add something to the recipe. And it all comes out to be Big Ten West Division champs. We pull it out of the oven, and it's nice and done next year. And we all get to go to games, and the whole world goes back to some level of normal, or is at least normal as it could be, with a fucking socialist in charge of the government. They're going to destroy everything. Ooh. <laughs> I have to end on that now. I have nothing to add to that. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm right about the socialists destroying everything or ending. Jill's right about ending, I think. Oh. Ending, right there. <laughs> we should not continue this. <laughs> well, that's good, because i got to go read some articles about, uh, about the Fed or somebody has ended, to, ended M2 tracing. Okay. Tracking, M2 tracking which will allow them to not report properly on inflation. And I'm going to leave you all with that note to consider what's going to happen next to our American dream. I'm so sorry, Greg. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you get for not being here, Greg, you fuck. Okay. Uh, What what do we say now? We go, uh, this is, uh, please leave us comments. Uh, why don't you, you know, we never get many comments. I know that Greg hears from Josh, the friend of the show or something, but we don't get many comments and we don't get a lot of feedback. So, you know, I don't know where to go after this. Uh, let's say we should end. What's the ending, Todd? Uh, <laughs> this is Todd Wolverton. Thanking all of you for listening this evening and thank you for tuning in. I want to thank our guests this evening. Jill Heemstra, and our fearless leader, John Johnston. 
for now and forever, uh, <laughs> Nebraska Cornhuskers, John, what do you have to say? I think you're supposed to say five heart is the only heart you need. Five heart is the only heart you need. John? <laughs> Go big red. Not the commie red either. Make America great again. <laughs> And do we still end with win the damn game? Well, you just did. There you go. Somebody (laughs) needs to. All right, I'm pausing. I'm I'm stopping recording.